Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all the people that are showing up for the first time since a long time. Thank you, Father, for the, for the privilege of looking on their faces and just being happy, Lord. Thank you for what we're learning. Thank you for the people that just shared the testimony and what they're learning, Father, through this course. We, we thank you for RBC. We thank you, Father, that uh, people in this church serve one another in so many ways. And we're just, we're just thankful to you, Father, for this church and for the people that you have brought together. Lord, we're going to look into your word, and we know even according to the prayer that we're going to look at, our hearts need to be illuminated. And so, Lord, we just pray that you might illuminate our hearts, that we might not only know what you say, uh, but that we become to know you, Father, that our beings might be shook with the reality of your presence and your power. And Lord, that we might uh, go out from here and live for you to the glory of your name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, <clears throat> next slide. Let's read uh, the passage that we'll be looking at today, which is in Ephesians chapter 1 and the verses 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts by the reading of his word. Uh, what we have here, <coughs> excuse me, what we have here in Ephesians, we cannot read the epistle to the Ephesians unless we understand the context of what the Ephesians would be living day to day. If we look at chapter 19 of the Acts of the Apostles, we don't have time to read it all, but in Ephesus, anything we read in the New Testament about Ephesus has something to do with what we see in chapter 19 of Acts. For those that know their Bible or believe that they know their Bible, what are the two most important things 
that we see in Acts 19 about the Ephesians? Have any idea? What is important? I'm telling you, if we do not understand what the priorities are in Acts 19, we're not going to understand the epistle to the Ephesians. Two things happen in Acts 19. Glenn talked to us about it last week. He mentioned one thing. There was a riot. Why was there a riot? Anybody? Don't be shy. Don't make me talk all the time. Why was there a riot? It was a riot because uh, Paul and his people preached the gospel. And what happened is that there were many that believed. And when they believed, what did they do? They, they, they left the temple, but not only did they leave the temple, but they also burned all of their, all their magic books. All their magic books. When we read according to Ephesus, according to the city of Ephesus in the New Testament, whether we be in Ephesians or whether we be in 1 Timothy, to not understand the background of magic, and to not understand the background of Artemis, or Artemis, I don't know how to say it in English, we're going to be in trouble because we're not going to understand what Paul is saying. The Ephesians were a people that lived magic every day. And they used magic so that they could manipulate, maybe not the best word, but manipulate or move the goddess uh, Artemis, or the other gods and goddesses that they worshipped, so that they would be nice to them, so that these gods would be nice to them, and also that they would receive from these gods what they needed. Just to give you an example, in Ephesus, Artemis, one of the big things about Artemis, it was a female god. She was supposed to be a virgin. She was the one that gave bounty to the people of Ephesus and also in Asia Meyer. But she was also the one that protected women in childbirth. Virgins and protecting children in, firebirth, in, in childbirth. What verses do we see about Ephesus that talk about this? Does anybody remember? Come on, think about it. First Timothy chapter 2, when it's talking about the woman that should be silent, what does it say? That she will be saved in childbirth. Why is Paul saying that? Paul is saying that because according to the Ephesians, Artemis should be taking care of the woman in childbirth. Paul also says in 1 Timothy 2 that they should be married. Why is he saying that? Because in Ephesus, if he wanted to be a spiritual person, spiritual woman, well, it would be better to be a virgin than to be married. And so Paul is saying, no, that's not the way it goes. In Ephesians, what we have is we have great arguments that Paul puts forth with regards to the idea of magic and how magic influenced the life of the Ephesians and how Paul answers this with what he's teaching us here 
in Ephesians chapter 1, and later on, uh, actually more than that. Let's look at his prayer and see what it meant for Paul to pray. He starts off this passage with, for this reason. I mean, for what reason? For the reason that he has expounded in chapter 1 and verse 3 to 14, where he talks about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, as Glenn told us last week. He talks about our past, our present, present, yes, and our future. And that God is working through the past, in the present, and in the future, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, so that one day all things can be headed up by who? Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 10 says that the purpose of God is to what? Very important verse. To unite all things, not only the things on the earth, but also in heaven, so that we'd all be summed up in God. That is the goal that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 1. And so, Paul, when he's thinking about his prayer, he's thinking about what he's saying in verses 3 to 14, and the idea that we should be praising God for his plan. And when we pray what Paul is telling us, we pray as we are motivated, understanding God's plan and God's work in our lives, what God is operating. We get down to pray... And you know, if you're like most people, like me too sometimes, we get down, we get on our knees, and we start to think about what we're living in, and we start to ask God to do what we need him to do, either in our own lives or the lives of those around us. There's nothing wrong with that. But what God is trying to say to us through Paul is that to go into prayer let us be inspired. Let us be touched by the reality of what God has done in the past, what he's doing in the present, and what he's doing in the future. Let us meditate on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and how these three persons of the deity are helping us to live our lives as Christians. So getting to prayer... Excuse me. Getting into prayer is, is necessary, is encouraged in our own lives as we meditate, meditate upon the glory of God's work through creation to bring us to where God wants us. Praying for Paul, too, is based on the concern for the lives of the Christians. He says, I have heard about your faith and your love to the brethren. I've heard about it and I make mention to you, I make mention of you in my prayers that God would work among you. But he says, I do this un non without stop. I do this unceasingly. And so Paul prayed not only because he was motivated, 
by what he understood of the work of God, but he also prayed because he was concerned for the lives of the Christians, which meant that he knew what was happening in the lives of the Christians. He wasn't ignorant of what was happening in the lives of the brethren that were in Ephesus like the other people that, are, that were in the churches around Asia Minor and around the Roman world at that time. He was concerned for the lives of the Christians. As we pray, we can be concerned about ourselves. What, it seem, what I seem to see here in Ephesians and, other, and elsewhere is that we should be concerned about what God is doing in the lives of the people around us. Not only ourselves, but, you know, how is Heinz doing in the Lord? How is John doing in the Lord? How is Dan doing in the Lord? What's happening in their lives? And maybe what is stopping them from becoming everything that God wants them to become in the sense that Paul says that we are all called to be transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. Well, do I know what's happening in the lives of each of us? One of the things that I ask, and some people know this, when I see a person, I will say, how's it going spiritually? Not it's a nice day. Not are you going to eat with us after. What's happening in your lives? It is not only for the elders or the leaders to know what's happening in the lives of the brethren that are around us, but it is for us to know. What creates community is this interest in the lives of the people around us. We see also that when Paul prays, he prays to the triune God because he says, God our Father, Lord Savior Jesus Christ, to give us a spirit. And so we have the Trinity that is involved in what Paul is praying for. How many of us really, when we pray, we are not only considering Jesus, but we're considering exactly what God the Father has planned, what Jesus is doing, and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. So our prayer is made not just to one person. Our prayer is made to the triune God. We see also that Paul, what he did is he prayed according uh, to specific needs. He prayed for the Ephesians because he knew what the Ephesians needed para Paul in line with what God was doing or had done and was doing in the world today. So we have to think about when we're praying, all right, am I praying continually for my brothers and sisters? Am I praying the triune God who operates history toward the accomplishments of his goal? Am I praying according to the needs of the people around me so that they can become one in Christ? Am I praying specifically for what each person needs? Let's look at the specifics of Paul's prayer. He prays for the need for wisdom and revelation. What is the difference between intelligence and wisdom? Someone. I know I'm waking you guys up, but let's do it anyway. Wisdom Beg your pardon? Wisdom Very good. Did you hear what Dr. Dawson said? Wisdom 
is applied knowledge. It's not only a question of knowing something, it's a question of knowing how to practice what we think we know. So it is applied knowledge, and what Paul wants here, he's saying that what the, the Ephesians need is they need wisdom in what God is doing. And to have this wisdom, we need what? Second word. Revelation. The word revelation uh, means an uncovering of what is hidden. That's what revelation means. Uncovering what is hidden. And so, for many of us, what God is doing, we don't understand so as to be able to apply it in our lives, wisdom. And so what God needs to do, he needs to open our hearts so that we might understand something that normally we would not understand. And so we have need for enlightenment, that our hearts might be enlightened, that we might understand what God is saying. One of the books I read since yesterday is by a man named Ironside, and he tells the story of when he was a young man, he went to meet, or he had a visit of a man that came from Northern Ireland. And this man was a man of God, but he had come to California where Ironside lived. And what he wanted, he see, he was sick, and he needed to be in a, a climate that would be better for him and his health. And so he came to live with Ironside and his family. The thing is, he never lived in the house. He lived in a tent not far. And Ironside, who was a young preacher, he would go see him and he would talk with him. And the fellows would see Ironside coming as a young man and he said to him, oh, you're a preacher, eh? He says, yes, I am. I preach the gospel. And Ironside says, well, sit down and let's talk about Jesus. And so Ironside sat down to talk about Jesus. After a while, Ironside didn't have very much to say. But as this older man started to speak about the word of God, he didn't just speak about the word of God, he spoke about Jesus. And so Ironside, after a while, he just started crying. He started crying and crying. He said, sir, he said, sir, where did you get such knowledge? This full knowledge of God, where did you get it? How did you get it? He says, every day I'm in the word of God. I haven't done seminary. I haven't gone to Bible school. What I've done is I'm on my knees every single day for hours in the word of God and asking God to work in my heart for what he wants to tell me. What is important, it is important to know the Bible. You have before you someone that God has just given me since I have known, since I've been saved, since I've turned to Jesus, God has given me this desire to know the Bible, to read the Bible, to understand the Bible. And sometimes I can get carried away with all the things that I can learn. But to tell you the truth, where the power is, is not in what we know about what we read. 
where the power is, is knowing the full knowledge of God that we get through enlightenment. How do you read the Bible? How do you live your Christian lives? Having an intellectual knowledge will get you a certain, to a certain point. Being enlightened by the Spirit of God so that our whole being is changed. Bible in, in Ephesians 1, he talks about our hearts being enlightened so that we ha- might have this full knowledge of God. But this knowledge is not a knowledge, it's not a head knowledge, it's a, it's a personal experience of the reality of God. And so Paul is asking God that with these Ephesians, this is what they need. They need this experience of the true knowledge of God, and the only way they're going to get it is if God illuminates their heart. Do you pray? When you read your Bible, when you're studying your Bible, do you pray not only to understand, but do you pray that the God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit might be revealed to your heart so that things would change. He says that I want you to illuminate their hearts. And the heart, according to humanity in the first century, meant that their whole being was going to be changed. Their whole being was going to be changed. It is good. It is good To know the Bible, to study the Bible, it is better to know God. Really, really deeply to know God. There was a time when this gentleman from France came here to Canada. His name was Ralph Chalice. We had a meeting here in Rosemont. Do you remember that, the hurdles? He came here and we filled up the place and we filled up downstairs in the time. And this man was in his 70s. To be in his presence was special. I was picked, I was, I was blessed to be able to take this man all over Quebec. I was his driver, his chauffeur. But I was able to spend a lot of time with him. He told me, he says, Leslie, it has been over 30 years that I have not walked out of the light of God. You know, I was a young Christian still. That to meet a man that states, and you, you had to meet this man to really understand that he wasn't bragging or whatever. This man lived in the presence of God. And when he spoke, And the young people and other people, they listened to him. All of a sudden, their hearts were warm. Something happened in their lives because this man knew God. He knew God. And it showed. And that's what what Paul wants for these Christians in Ephesus. To know God. Because there were many gods. And they knew about these gods. But what Paul wants is that they would know the one God. And they needed to have certainty. In his prayer, he prays that they would have certainty, that they would know. And the word know 
in this chapter means that they would understand completely. It would not, they, they would understand completely concerning hope, concerning God's inheritance, and concerning God's power. Hope. What is hope, according to what Paul is saying here? Hope in Ephesians is for that day when everything in heaven and earth will be united under one head, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the hope. But that hope, Paul says in his epistles, we are able to live it today by the power of the Holy Spirit that is working in us and among us. You know, the verses that we know so well in Ephesians chapter 2, you are saved, 2, 8, 9, 10. You are saved by grace, by the moyen de la, de la faith, which does not come from you, but comes from God. Saved from what? We as Christians are so interested in our own personal lives that we misunderstand how much is involved with the word, the word saved? Paul is not talking about eternal life in Ephesians chapter 2. He's not talking about the salvation of our souls. What Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 2 is being saved from the power of the principalities and powers. And this is only available because Christ died, was buried, raised from the dead, sits at the right hand of God, and then, as Stephen will be telling us next week, Lord willing, well, us too, we were dead. And we were under the power of the principalities and powers. But God has saved us, has raised us also, and seated us in heaven with Jesus. Which means we too can live today in a way where we do not have to trust or look toward the principalities and powers to live our lives. We don't have to manipulate God. We don't have to do things so that he can be happy with us. We don't have to try to tell him, well, I need this. He knows all that. What God wants is that we have hope today not only to be with God for eternity. That's a given. God's desire is not just to save us so that we can be in eternity with God. God's desire is that Christ might be the Lord of all creation in heaven and on earth. Our lives, brethren, Paul is praying that the Ephesians would understand, listen, what Christ has done by dying, by being raised from the dead, by being sat at the right hand of God, what God has done, he has given us a hope to be able to live this life that God has given us, not only in the future, but today. We're too concentrated. This is a very important subject for me and my heart. We're too concerned with eternal life and the salvation from our sins. It's important. But why did God save us from our sins? 
just so that we can say one day we will be with him? No. God saved us from our sins so that today we might reveal the reality of Jesus Christ who is raised and at the right hand of God. That's our hope. God's inheritance. The reason we can have hope is because not only does God give us inheritance, but we are the inheritance of God. We belong to him. And if we belong to him, there is nothing that can touch us that he won't take care of. We are his inheritance. He keeps us, as the, the, the Psalms say, la prunelle de ses yeux. What do we, how do we say that in English? La prunelle de ses yeux. Yeah, well, the apple of the eye? Yeah, is that what you say? Okay. Beg your pardon? Anybody? Okay. So, you know, as I'm looking to live this hope, I can have trust that because I am the inheritance of God, he will take care of me. And then, of course, the last one, being in the fullness or, or, or experiencing the power of God. I put six things here, and I hope I'm going to be able to explain it as I should. He says about God's power that he is all-powerful. He uses a word here that's not used in the, in the New Testament. It's used only once. But it is a word that was used for Artemis. And what we have here is that Paul is saying that Jesus is, and God are more powerful than Artemis. But he's also saying that this power is only available to those who believe. Those who believe not in the past, so that we might say we're going to heaven one day. But his power is given to us so that we might believe today, so that this hope might be realized and lived out in our lives every day. The power of God is effective in its operation. God and his strength is effective. It's not a bomb that does nothing. No, God's power acts in our lives so that God's will can be accomplished. God's power is effective. It's the same power that was manifested in Christ. It is superior to that of the powers and it works toward the fullness of the church. Most of the words that are used in Ephesians chapter 1, going from verse 19 right to 21, when he talks about the principalities and power, most of these words are used talking about the other world, the, the world that is around us, but that we cannot see. We're not only living a physical life in what we're doing today, but what God does is he says that the world that is around us is, is doing something too. In fact, if we look in Daniel, the principalities and powers are fighting for that the people of God, the Israelites, might become what God wants them to become. Principalities and powers, not a question just of the devil, but a question of angels, archangels, demons, 
The Ephesians believed in all this and they used potions, they used amulets, they used names to be able to influence these principalities and powers so that they might act as they should or that they might get what they would want. You know, thank you for our sister that's here from Ukraine and for her family that's in Ukraine still. If you're like me, you're saying to yourself, what can I do for Ukraine? I can't get over there, not at my age. I can't do nothing concretely, but in reality, I can. You know why? Because the power of God is never stopped. It's always there. It's always available. God's power is there. And if the church, according to what I see in Ephesians, lives as God wants it to live, the church can have a power, even in today's world, concerning Ukraine. It's not for nothing that Paul, again, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, asks us to pray for those in authority. Why? I believe that the authorities in this world, and I can... I can prove it, I believe, through the Bible, but we don't have time to look at it. The authorities in this world are not unto themselves. They are under, in a way, the domination of the principalities and powers. What's happening in Ukraine? What's happening with Putin? What's happening with the states? What's happening with Iran? What's happening with China? All that we can look at and say, oh my goodness, what's happening? What can I do? I'll tell you what we can do. We can pray and live our lives as a church and believe me, God can do something. I don't know how, but he can do something because his power is beyond my comprehension. But we have that power. As Christians, we have that power and that power can be effective if we really believe. So what? I mark six things. How is our prayer practice? Paul says, I never cease to pray. Are we praying regularly? Are we praying regularly according to Paul's model? How much are we interested in the spiritual lives of our brethren? How do we define our hope? What is your hope? What is your hope as a Christian? Please don't tell Leslie, one day I'll go to heaven. I don't see that in the New Testament. Yes, we can have the forgiveness of our sins. Yes, we can have the certitude that one day we will be with God for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Yes, I believe that. But what's more important is that our hope should be also for today and how we live in the reality of God. What do we think of the principalities and powers? You realize that, there's pe- you realize that the Bible states that we're here today and we can look on the faces of the people here today, but the Bible states we're not alone. The angels are looking at us. What angels? Could be the bad ones. Could be the good ones. But we're not alone. The angels are acting. They're doing something. And they're looking at us. The bad ones are trying to stop us from doing what God wants. The good ones are trying to help us to do what God wants. Where does our fear come from? In the sense, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of in this life? 
that stops me from really doing what God wants. God says that his power is there to overcome our fear. And how much does the power of God relate to the church? Christ is the fullness according to Ephesians and Colossians. But this fullness is given to us so that we are filled, so that we as Christ's body might live in this world as Christ himself would live in this world. That's all I got today. Any questions? I'm not going to stop without asking if anybody has one question. I know it's 5 after 12. Any have any question? It's a big subject. No questions? That means I goofed up. All right. Pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Father, that we know you. Oh, Lord, look upon us here at Rosemount Bible Church, and we pray, Father, that you might give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that our eyes might be uh, enlightened, illuminated, Father, that we might know you. Oh, Father in heaven, please help us not just to live our Christian lives as actions or activity here and there, but help us to live our Christian lives that we can get to know God, that we can live with God, that God can live with us, and that he can act amongst us. Oh, Father, work amongst us. May your fullness fill us so that the world might be filled with your